Hi, this is Sam Lischek with Absolute EHS, and I am here today with uh, actually a former coworker of mine, Alyssa, who is an EHS consultant in California, and we are going to talk about dating during a pandemic. Hey, Alyssa, how are you? I am doing well, Sam. How are you doing? Oh, you know, just dandy. <laughs> <laughs> Managing the pandemic. Uh, yes, as always. Um, but one of the uh, rather interesting topics that has come up among a, a lot of my listeners is um, dating and how it's done now. And I think talking to an environmental health and safety specialist about that is awesome. So um, <laughs> we, we spoke prior to recording and Lisa is, uh, has agreed to talk to us about three different relationships she's had over the past couple of years and how they compare. So let's jump right into it. Can you, we're going to call them guy number one, guy number two, and guy number three. So let's start with guy number one. How about how long okay. ago was he in the picture? Yes. So this would have been, I would say comfortably about 2015. Um, so I originally started online dating through college, um, kind of as a means to meet other folks. Um, by the time I was in my senior year, um, I was pretty uh, bogged down with classes and work and, um, you know, was just looking to kind of expand my my options. Um, and interestingly enough, as a bisexual woman, like that was kind of the easiest way to meet people um, was to actually go through online dating that kind of gave some options for um, wider audiences that may not have been super comfortable. Um, at that time, I was living in San Diego. Um, and so the, the dating app scene was really limited to, um, to Tinder and more serious apps like Match.com. Um, so it was really interesting to see them evolve over that time. Um, so I first uh, met guy number one um, through OkCupid. And we had met and had messaged back and forth. Uh, at that time, dating apps only had messaging options. Um, so you couldn't actually send uh, pictures, except Tinder actually did at that point. So you could get some, some very uncomfortable on OkCupid. That kind of ended up being my, my preferable app um, because it was limited to just messages. Um, so we were actually able to have a, a pretty real conversation. Um, we ended up meeting uh, and it, it just kind of organically flowed into a relationship. Um, that one was kind of sped up by the fact that I had a contract, um, an EHS contract um, for a couple months, uh, which I completed, then moved back to San Diego, um, and we moved in together. So we dated from 2015 until 2017, um, during which time we lived together um, and adopted a cat. Um, so it was, you know, very different. Um, we were both very, you know, in engaged in activities, um, mostly through online platforms. So, so it, it really worked for us. Um, and, you know, I, at that point too, I would have definitely recommended dating apps. Um, so that's the history with guy number one. So with guy number one, um, I think you had mentioned one of those platforms allowed for uncom uncomfortable photos. And just given what you do for a living, how did you uh, ensure your own safety when meeting basically strangers on the internet? Yes, that was a question my mom asked me all the time. Um, so uh, in, in all seriousness, it, it was a very valid reason. Um, so with uncomfortable pictures, 
it, you know, it definitely put some pressure onto the situation. And, and there were times when, you know, you don't feel right about an, an incident. Um, you know, I urge everybody to, to trust their gut. If it doesn't feel right, if you don't feel comfortable, obviously that's not something worth pursuing. And it is 100% acceptable to block that person on the platform. Um, for me, uh, I tended to, to keep, um, you know, communication limited to the platform itself. Mostly because once people have your real phone number, um, it, it can also lead to other safety concerns. So I do urge people to at least message through the applications um, until you, you kind of have that first meeting. It goes well. Um, and that way you're not giving out any other personal information. Um, some people have their phone number connected to Facebook or Instagram. Um, so in some cases, you know, you may be setting yourself up to kind of expose more about yourself than you really realize. Um, for me, in terms of safety, I was really big on checking in with family or friends like, hey, I'm going out with this person. Um, we're, you know, meeting here. I should be back around this time. Um, you know, I, I think most women have had that experience before where, you know, you kind of check in with each other. And it's, you know, just good, solid judgment. Um, again, if the conversation makes you feel pressured in any which way, that's never, you know, a good way to start a meeting. Um, I also uh, would talk to them for a couple of days at least before meeting. Um, I did get some pressure to, to meet up same day, um, which I was never cool with. Uh, but yeah, so so for me, it was safety. If they tried to get my phone number, or they sent theirs. Usually I do a quick Google search on them. Um, it's amazing how much information is out there on people based on phone numbers. So that was usually a, a quick screener tool also. That's great. So um, obviously, and I'm sorry to say it didn't work out, but you guys were living together. So how did yeah. how did that end? And how did how did everybody move out and kind of how did the breakup go? Yeah, so um, in that particular case, that individual um, was in medical school. Um, so, you know, that, that person was definitely tied to the location. Um, so it ended up being that I uh, moved out with the pets um, and lived with my grandmother, which honestly was kind of the best experience. Um, in terms of us kind of splitting up, um, you know, we at least kind of saw that coming. We had different family values uh, and whatnot. And so, you know, it really wasn't a bad breakup. Uh, it, it ultimately, you know, just doesn't work. Um, and everybody, you know, kind of gets to that point where they see it. So in that sense, it was it was really well-timed. Um, it gave me an opportunity to live with family. Uh, and, and so I'm really thankful that it, it did happen. Um, but it also meant that I was back into the dating pool. So um, I, again, turned to uh, online dating apps and honestly went through a, a number of dates. Um, and from 2017 until 2018, so a full year, um, I was on dating apps, just meeting people. Um, sometimes there, there would be a good you know, meeting and it would end up being a couple of dates but really, I didn't find uh, anybody until I had moved from San Diego uh, to the Bay Area in uh, about April of 2018. Right. So, um, and that leads us to guy number two. Yes, it yeah. does. So, 
I had moved up to the Bay Area in 2018. And let me tell you, San Diego versus the Bay Area dating scene is very different. Um, you know, in San Diego, it was very relaxed. Everybody wanted to, to go out and, um, you know, do very social activities, which was definitely almost a, a culture shock of, you know, dating culture moving up to the Bay Area. Um, in the Bay, most people were, were very forward about, you know, their expectations of dating. They wanted to know your salary. They wanted to know your religion, family planning information. Um, so it was very much a, you know, kind of screening questionnaire when you first started talking to somebody. Um, so for me, that was very different. I'm a much more social person. You know, I, I kind of want to get to know somebody and get to know their likes, their dislikes. Can they hold a conversation? Um, and so, you know, I would say as kind of a, a critique, you know, what you're putting out there in messages and dating apps, you know, may shape the audience that you're getting. Um, so for me, that was, you know, definitely a, a big factor of, of dating here. Um, so I had joined the online dating apps again. This time I had tried Bumble and OkCupid again, actually. Um, I had gone on a couple dates, um, which were almost uncomfortable. Um, I'll be totally honest. It, it again was an interview. Uh, the questions that most people were screening for up front, uh, you know, were being asked on the date. Um, and I'm super open about so many different details, but um, you know, it was definitely very forward to be asked what your salary was, what your earning potential was, um, you know, so it, it's very different and it really does depend on, you know, your location and what the area's values are. Um, for me, I was lucky enough to find somebody that I jived with. Uh, so we had met, um, granted, it was, you know, kind of a a weird mix of things. So I had actually broken one of my rules um, and met with him a couple days after, you know, messaging back and forth. Um, he had sent his phone number. And so I was able to do a, a reverse search and found pretty much his life history online. So I felt pretty comfortable, you know, kind of going into that one, which was, you know, why I was comfortable breaking that rule for myself. Um, and it ended up working out. Um, so we were together from 2018 until this year um, with COVID and everything. So let's uh, do a bit of an analysis on that relationship. When you, uh, mm -hmm. obviously before COVID, so before the end of 2019, um, were you were you living together or did you have separate residences? Yeah, absolutely. So um, from 2018 to you know, right before we had the pandemic lockdowns, um, we were in separate households. Um, so I would say, you know, we were seeing each other, you know, four out of seven days a week, uh, pretty regularly. Um, he was working from home uh, through 2019. Yeah, 2019, he was working from home. Um, so we were able to spend those like four to seven days together. Um, as an EHS consultant, I was doing a lot of mileage. And so it, our schedules didn't necessarily, you know, lend to, to more frequent um, hanging out. Um, I think, you know, my household residence is, is also, you know, relevant to note that um, during that time, um, and even now, uh, my dad lives with me during the week. Um, so he works in the, the Bay areas as well. 
So in terms of, you know, having a household with multiple people, um, having a partner who lives uh, with, with other people at a different residence, you know, it, it does kind of play into that ability to see each other. Um, so we were living in separate households, um, working pretty different style jobs. Um, mine was mostly in person with some, you know, one-off days uh, working remotely to, to write up some projects. Um, but otherwise, you know, I was pretty much on the road or at a client site. So it, it really did change when the pandemic um, happened. We, uh, you know, it does stand out pretty vividly. We had plans. Um, we were going to go see a, a Sharks game um, the night that uh, California, you know, started to roll out some more stringent provisions in February. We were starting to hear more about, you know, the um, COVID before it was officially named um, or termed, but, you know, we started having uh, some serious conversations in the household about, you know, what our plan was, uh, which, which ultimately kind of drove the conversation of, okay, are we going to continue with separate households or are we going to consolidate? Um, because both of us did have, have family members with pre-existing conditions. Um, you know, with his side, he had a multi-generational um, living situation where his mom um, was caring for an elderly parent um, who had multiple uh, pre-existing conditions. So we really kind of looked at that, our risk factors, um, and ultimately decided that living together made the most sense um, during that time. So our, at least Santa Clara County and the Bay Area, the six major counties um, initiated a lockdown in March. Um, so March 16th, everything shut down. So all of my work went from in-person to remote. Um, his work wasn't necessarily affected, but, you know, he was working with a, a partner and, you know, they ended up having to do separate households as well. So it definitely impacted his partner's ability to work and therefore, you know, some of his projects. Um, but it, it was fun at first, uh, but ultimately, you know, it, it kind of becomes a compounded stressor because for us, we went from maintaining separate households, seeing each other four days a week, you know, kind of having other outlets um, to suddenly be put into an 850 square foot apartment with two people and two cats. Um, so it, it was definitely a transition. Do you think that the pandemic uh, sped along or slowed down your relationship? Oh, in, in this case, it absolutely sped up our relationship. Um, we started kind of having more serious you know, planning conversations. Um, you know, we, we were looking at mortgage opportunities to go from renting to, uh, to property ownership. Um, most of that was driven on the fact that, you know, we were already living together. Um, we were suddenly in a position with, with housing changes um, to, to kind of look at, at having um, more housing options available to us. So it, it definitely, you know, caused us to to kind of reassess what our timeline for, you know, future endeavors looked like, if that was marriage, um, specifically for tax and insurance benefits. Um, you know, we're, we're both over 26, so in California, um, we're both off of our parents' insurance coverage as a dependent. So, you know, trying to break some of those costs. Um, trying to, you know, look at what uh, other benefits we could get. 
um, it was definitely tough for a lot of people in California at that time um, because it seemed like everybody was having those same conversations about, you know, what benefits do you have, what opportunities are coming up, um, and we definitely fell into that process. Um, so our five-year plan really turned into a two-year plan um, and definitely caused some strain on our relationship because it, it became very clear that our priorities were different. Um, and so things that were manageable before, you know, really became noticeable and really became kind of, you know, major roadblocks um, to the point that, you know, we we really couldn't talk about it. Um, we, you know, ended up having issues around the health of family members and family care. Um, I lost three family members. He lost one. Um, fortunately, not due to COVID, but, you know, during a year where, you're not able to travel, you're not able to, you know, host those services, it, it starts to take a, a pretty strong emotional toll. Um, and for me, you know, I, I definitely had um, more depression, um, more anxiety, I've always kind of suffered with those, but it definitely came to a head where I needed medication. Um, one of our, our issues involved him having to go see a, a therapist, um, which luckily through telehealth, we were able to both manage that. Um, but ultimately, you know, despite the intervention efforts, we really just, you know, couldn't maintain that household um, and ultimately led to us breaking up. So before we go into the moving out process, um, you mentioned uh, that basically this all sparked talking about marriage and buying a house together and everything else. Were those conversations happening prior to COVID hitting or was this pretty much pandemic sparked? So the conversations had been had, um, we had really discussed, you know, kind of like a, a five-year plan. Um, we, we knew that we wanted similar things um, and that, that had come up, you know, we had been dating, um, you know, a little over a year when the, the pandemic officially, you know, started the lockdowns and it, it ultimately, just forced those conversations to be had with much more specific details. You know, what would marriage look like? Would that be, you know, a courthouse wedding? You know, we start getting into the semantics of the who, what, when, where, why. And we realized that those details just didn't line up. Um, we didn't share the same values with, with those. Um, you know, ultimately, he kind of panicked of the mortgage. So it really showed where we had some foundational cracks in our relationship. Okay. And did, I mean, were there, were there kind of, it sounds like you were saying there were some, I don't know if I would say issues, but things that you were both mildly aware of before you moved in together. Yep. We, we definitely were, we knew where our, you know, relationship pain points were. We knew that, you know, financial stability um, had different priorities. You know, when you kind of look at the assessment of what your core values are, whether that's family, finances, health, um, you know, all, all of those elements, we just really ranked them differently. And, and so our big issues were um, children uh, and the if and when timeline on that, um, home ownership and career potential, as well as living location. Um, so those were kind of the the major conversations that we really started drifting apart on. Um, some of it was that, you know, with the pandemic, we were looking at 
such a change in industry in you know the availability the cost of living um, you know these were all pretty major factors uh, that are still changing um, they look very different now than they did in March of 2019 they'll probably look different um, you know in March of, of 2021 um, so we we really you know, we're kind of taking the day-by-day factors of, you know, COVID and industry changes and saying, like, you know, we just, we're not aligning on this. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how it it expanded. So, the next question, I think, is also applicable to a lot of people who um, are either going through domestic issues or are going through divorces, because we're seeing a lot of those now with everybody being locked up together. You, you had a pandemic move out breakup. Can you walk mm-hmm. us through that and how it compared to the prior move out breakup? Yeah, so this, this was stark differences. Um, at this point, uh, so we, we ended up splitting households in or at the very end of August, the start of September, 2020. Um, we we kind of knew things were not working um, from June, and so we you know, were trying. We were trying to make more space in, in the apartment itself, and there's only so much room you can do that with. Um, so it, it just kept tensions really high. Um, ultimately, you know, with with his multi generational um, family care at that time, we were really cautious about moving out um, to the point where. You know, we we knew that things weren't really looking good, but we also, you know, didn't want him to have additional exposure um, that could cause, you know, a, a downstream infection. Um, so, you know, we we definitely took our time in moving out. Um, you know, we ensured that that he had PPE um, to to make sure that he had cloth face coverings um, to be able to like safely transition into you know his previous household. Um, you know, we tried to to work things out, and luckily, it was one trip um, that he made that all of his belongings were were able to make it. So we didn't have a lot of exposure in that sense. Um, but you know, in, in trying to you know talk to each other and and see if we could rekindle anything, um, we did have to take a lot of very serious safety precautions. Um, you know, we were ensuring that we were only within our households. Um, and we were very strict on that. Uh, it was a lot more phone calls uh, and you know, digital meetings. We did a lot of Netflix watch parties. So we really transitioned our, you know, at that point, our ambiguous relationship to online platforms. Um, and it was very different from previous breakups that, that I've had where, you know, your friends can come help you move out or, you know, you, you have people around you that can kind of comfort you and, you know, you can go out and have a drink and, you know, to each their own, however you need to, to vent and move past something. Um, but it did become a very, you know, isolated, difficult breakup. Um, and for someone like me, like I'm a very empathetic person. And so I really didn't want to put that burden on other people who were already struggling with, you know, feeling isolated and really didn't need more stress on their plate. So it, it ends up being a very isolating process. Um, and it, it really comes down to, you know, kind of that prioritization of, you know, your health um, is not just physical health, it's also mental health. So, you know, it, it was much better for me 
that he moved out. Um, and it, it was all a, a balancing of those factors. Do you felt that you hung on longer than you would have? Oh, totally. Um, you know, we had had some serious issues um, and I, I definitely would have, you know, asked him to leave much earlier, um, even within that month, um, you know, to the point where, where I finally hit my uh, metaphorical wall and packed him up, uh, packed up all of his stuff and, and helped him move it to his car. Uh, so it, it was really at a breaking point at any day, but we, we really tried much longer than we should have. As an EHS consultant, I imagine that your PPE and safety protocols are like mine <laughs> and more stringent <laughs> than, than, uh, than uh, people who are not trained the way we are. Um, yeah. uh, may I apply that assumption to this relationship? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, so there, there were a lot of learning opportunities um, within my household. Um, so I implemented additional PPE, certain requirements, um, quarantine periods. If we went out and got groceries, you know, we couldn't go out anywhere else for a week. Um, it was typically one or the other person doing the chores. So, you know, most of the time, one of us was always at home. Um, so that that also contributed to some of the animosity in the spaces that, you know, I usually took the burden of going out and getting groceries because, you know, it kind of became a, a trust factor of, you know, not wanting to bring that exposure into the house. That, that makes sense. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> when, you know, you, there's, there's some, I don't know, bad feelings, let's say, um, and sure. you've decided that this is over and that he's going to move out how do you then calmly have a conversation of how to move out safely? You know, so a lot of people that, um, that are very curious about listening to this podcast are happen to be in, in cohabited households either, or there are kids that they're sharing between households and one partner just doesn't get it, at least from the perspective of the other partner. How did you get past the, the basically the breakup and the emotion tied to a breakup, we've all been there, and have this type of rational conversation? Um, I, I really think it comes down to compartmentalizing. And I hate that it, it does have to come down to that. Um, in, in our case, we were fortunate that, you know, kids weren't involved. Um, it it is hard. It really doesn't matter, you know, what, what the situation is. There are going to be emotions tied to it. Um, I found for me that, you know, kind of writing out a safety plan um, really did help, you know, kind of guide that conversation um, and really helped kind of take that charge emotion out of it. Um, and by safety plan, I really just mean, you know, how are we going to transition him out, right? Like, what did I need him to do to safely, you know, separate our households? Um, for us, it, it ended up being very simple because it was just one car ride, but it you know, it was that if, if he did forget something, um, how are we going to, to meet up to safely, you know, give each other those, those items back? Um, was he going to come into the household again? Was I going to go into his household? Um, you know, ultimately we ended up doing a, a front door drop um, where we just left each other's items um, on each other's doorsteps. Uh, and then 
that allowed us to, to kind of quarantine those items when they came into to our respective households. Um, I can't speak to, to how he managed it after he moved out, um, but for me, that's definitely how, how I kind of continued. Um, you know, with, with kids and pets, you know, I do have cats. Um, so for me, that was also a consideration um, just because, you know, we, we do have the transmission factor for COVID from humans to cats. So I also didn't want, you know, my family who has pre-existing conditions or pets um, to have that exposure potential. So, you know, we really kind of broke that down as a list of, you know, what were our hazards? Um, how are we going to manage those? Mostly it was through, you know, PPE with gloves and face masks. Um, ultimately, we decided that uh, disposable masks were better for our situation at that time. Um, but that's really how we looked at it. You know, you mentioned um, the pets and COVID, and you actually have a really interesting uh, story to tell about that. I don't know if you can touch upon it really. I do. We should uh, yeah. fix it for next time. I, I can highlight it. Um, so one of my cats actually did have COVID. Um, so we, in early January of 2020, um, our cat fell very ill um, to the point where she was very lethargic, um, had a cough. We took her into the vet. Uh, she, uh, under the, the scan, had an inflamed heart, liver, and kidneys. Um, so she was on multiple antibiotics. Um, and, you know, she was just very sick for a very long time. Um, we were, we genuinely, you know, had no idea. Um, it was about the time that the pandemic was just kind of getting a name out there. Um, and so, you know, our, our vet didn't think anything of it. Uh, a couple months later in May, she went back for a follow-up and completely cured of everything. The vets were shocked. Um, you know, really, they said with the, the scale of infection that her uh, her heart, liver, and kidneys had, um, it shouldn't have cleared up like this. And so the vet, you know, pretty concretely said that that she did have COVID and, you know, it kind of showed up textbook the same way that we're seeing on humans. So, you know, I just urge folks with their cats to, to think about it, too, about those transmission factors. You have a hypothesis on how your cat got COVID, though. I do. Um, so... Unfortunately, uh, fortunately, unfortunately, um, my father had done some work travel uh, and had come back um, from a, a trip from Asia and had ultimately, you know, kind of within two weeks of him being back from that trip, our cat had exhibited those symptoms. So we're pretty sure that, that it was caught in transit. Um, at that time, my father, you know, didn't have any factors, or at least he was asymptomatic. Um, during his trip over there, he did wear a mask, um, mostly to deal with, you know, the pollution factors. But, you know, in all honesty, it, it probably, you know, prevented him from catching that. But his his clothes and other personal effects, you know, could have been contaminated. And she loves to hop in suitcases. So, you know, I don't know what cat doesn't. <laughs> Um, but nobody else in the household got COVID. It was just the cat. Yep, just our cat. Oh, boy. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. But I want to move on, of get, back on get back on track with guy number three. So guy number three, this is a 100% pandemic relationship. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> how, did, how did you meet? Talk me through this one. Um, yes. So after the breakup, you know, I decided to see what options 
there were out out in the dating community. Um, so I ended up signing up for online dating apps again. Um, I tried some different ones this time. I tried Hinge. I tried Bumble again. And then I actually tried Facebook dating. Um, and the, the interesting thing about those apps were some of the new integrated features that they had rolled out um, in the wake of the pandemic. So most of them featured, you know, call functions directly through the app. So there was no more worry about, you know, giving your phone number or anything else. Um, so from my standpoint, it became much more accessible um, to kind of, you know, go through that screening phase at home. Um, you know, there, there were video functions built in as well. Um, not all apps had that, uh, but most did have the, the call function. So that was very cool. Um, for me, I definitely saw the difference of dating before uh, the pandemic had started. Um, people were very quick to want to talk on the phone. Um, I was not prepared for that. Um, I definitely have some social anxiety. So having people just call me as soon as we match was definitely overwhelming. Um, so that, that was not as much fun, um, but I do appreciate it in the sense of, you know, everybody was kind of looking for, for something a little more communicative, um, which definitely was not the case before. Um, you know, it, it did get harder um, to have conversations. Um, people seemed more on, you know, temporary fulfillment rather than, you know, engaging conversation. Um, almost as though people had kind of resigned themselves to that isolated loneliness versus, you know, actually meeting. Um, so I saw a very distinct split between folks that wanted to meet up immediately um, and folks who were like, yeah, we're never going to meet. Um, so it, it was a very different dynamic. Um, ultimately, I met this guy on Facebook dating. Um, and we really just messaged each other um, and had a great conversation. Um, his profile was, you know, very direct, um, good photos of, of his self that was reflective of, you know, who he was as a person. So it, it had some personality and, and could kind of show more than, than what you can normally get during a pandemic. Um, so we were able to, to talk for gosh, almost two weeks um, before we, we ultimately met up for a socially distanced coffee date. Yeah. So what does meeting your internet stranger look like when it comes to safety <laughs> precautions? Oh, gosh. Um, so it obviously starts with the conversation, um, which really rules out a lot of potential dates uh, that I was asked out on. Um, so for me, my, my typical screening right now would be, you know, we message back and forth, maybe we talk on the phone um, or video chat, and then kind of go through that health screening questionnaire, right? Have you been traveling? Have you, you know, been going out? What's your work situation like? What's your living situation like? Um, are your roommates responsible kind of questions um, just to, to kind of get an idea of what their exposure potential is, how many people, you know, they've been around um, and then kind of going through what we would be comfortable with on a date. 
Um, for me, it's absolutely wearing a mask the whole time um, and absolutely maintaining social distancing. So um, in the, the gestures of somebody picking you up and taking you out uh, is definitely off the table. Um, and so, you know, it's just making smart decisions based on, you know, mutual situations. So that sounds like eating and drinking, at least in your book, is also off the table. Yes except if we have straws and we can like very carefully manage that with disposable masks, um, which is ultimately what we did. Okay. Yes. Not to be done in a factory setting guys, but. Yeah, absolutely not outdoors. <laughs> well ventilated. Yeah. So how has this relationship's trajectory or kind of like the standard cadence of a growing relationship, do you find that it's different than what you've experienced in the past? Yeah, so um, I'm very fortunate and in that this individual is, is very happy to talk on the phone. Otherwise, we would never see each other. Um, so it's definitely changed that in, in the sense that we see each other maybe once a week. Um, we really don't uh, get to interact um, outside of phone calls, uh, but those have become kind of like a normal dating daily check-in um and so it, it has definitely sped up that kind of timeline um we talked to well at least I talked to his friends um and you know we, we've all kind of gotten to know each other through you know social media apps um you know Instagram is is great in the sense that it, it also has a you know video messaging system Facebook as well um, so we, we are a little bit more connected to our networks um, than I maybe initially anticipated. Uh, and it definitely has sped up kind of the seriousness of the relationship in that, you know, we, we have those deeper conversations sooner, um, unless as if it's, you know, we're kind of verifying if it's worth our time. Um, because it is a lot of like time and communication that goes into to pandemic style relationships with distance. So yeah, for us, it's, you know, we started dating mid-November, early November. So it's like, it's been a month and, you know, we're, we're a lot more serious than I have been in other relationships in the past, even a month in. The way you describe it almost sounds like a long distance relationship, even though you're just a couple of miles apart. Yep, absolutely. And so those same foundational principles really do apply. Having open communication, um, you know, we all get irritated, um, but making sure to, you know, kind of communicate those feelings better. You know, I, I found for myself that that I've really, you know, leveraged some of those uh, therapy skills of saying, you know, I'm frustrated by this, or I'm feeling sad today. And so kind of naming those emotions, um, because they, they can be misconstrued through text. And, you know, it kind of forces you to be more understanding and forgiving of other people too, which is nice. So the million dollar question, and this mm -hmm. in no way means that you've been doing any of this, but Moops, knowing that the relationship does seem to be going in a direction, how would one have their first kiss? Or how would you uh, have each other explore each other's homes or do other things that might be bedroom related? What kind of safety precautions should somebody in the dating field now be thinking about when it comes to something about getting physically intimate with a potential 
mate? Yes, great question. <laughs> um, no, and, and that's one that, you know, at least for, for my situation, we did not necessarily plan. Um, and so I will be totally honest about that. Uh, but, you know, looking back, I think we, we really covered it in that initial conversation about what we were comfortable with, um, you know, what our exposure potentials were. For me, it even to just meet him in person, um, you know, we had to be on the same page about safety. Uh, so I felt very comfortable, you know, kind of walking in and, and doing activities without our masks on. Um, so it, you know, for us, we had had that safety comfort conversation, uh, but for somebody else, you know, kind of looking to, to have those experiences, you know, some of it is, is really assessing how things are going during the date. You know, if you are choosing to go out in public, you know, how often are they, you know, keeping their mask off? Are they using sanitizer? Um, are they washing their hands? You know, that personal hygiene element, you know, you do kind of have to be aware of it. Um, if they're not participating in those activities, you know, are they comfortable when you point them out? Um, or do they get, you know, kind of defensive? Um, I would say that's probably a red flag if they get a little defensive. So it's, you know, you do have to be cautious. I would say go slow. Um, you know, there, the pandemic, we're all missing physical touch, whether that be friends, family, or something a little more frisky. But, um, you know, it's everybody needs some some kind of element, but I would say, you know, don't rush into it. Uh, at least go on one date before committing to to some more intimate activities. Um, that way, you know, you kind of sit on on those feelings and decide if if your safety is really at risk by pursuing something more. Um, and then again, revisiting the conversations, exposure potentials, maybe that's getting a COVID test, um, and then not, you know, leaving your house and quarantining. Um, until you do have that meeting and your test results back. So, so there's a lot of options. It really just depends on your situation. So uh, are, you, are you saying that only people who are working from home are going to be optimal people to meet with? Or what, you know, what's the comfort level? Or are you mostly saying that you want to look at the hygiene practices and their habits and go from there? Yeah, I would say, you know, everybody's situation um, is different. Uh, for some people, they can, you know, kind of date somebody with a higher risk exposure. Um, you know, in, in my case, I work primarily remotely, um, but he is a, you know, restaurant assistant manager. So he's in person. And so we're a little bit more cautious about those things, which is why for us, we had a, a pretty serious conversation about COVID exposure very early on. Um, and, you know, I went through the, the health and safety around his workplace as well. Um, part of it because that's my profession, but the other part is, you know, just to make sure that, that he is, you know, participating safely. He understands what he should be doing um, and is following that. Uh, and, you know, you can definitely date people that, you know, are working um, in person, essential workers, you know, depending on where you're living to, um, you may not be in a, a lockdown. Um, but again, it all comes back to that, you know, personal hygiene. Um, are you or your family members of high risk? If you are, 
maybe that that's not the kind of relationship uh, or partner that that is safe for you right now. Um, and just being honest with yourself in those situations. Um, you know, it, it's also okay to to do a, a remote long distance style dating. Um, you know, there's there are genuinely a lot of different options right now. Um, but it's patience, I would say, is kind of the, the virtue with dating um, just until you, you know that you're safe. So working in a restaurant, I hopefully this isn't true, but the, he would have potential exposures rather frequently. Um, if he's yeah. notified of a potential exposure, does that change how you two meet? Yes. Um, so there, there was a potential exposure um, and we didn't hang out in person for, for two weeks. Um, and so we, we knew um, in general, uh, you know, we, we kind of have that check-in conversation almost daily of, you know, how's work going? You know, where did you go today? Um, you know, did you maintain that social distancing? If either one of us goes to the grocery store, we usually don't hang out with each other um, for a few days uh, just to make sure that, you know, we, we aren't seeing symptoms. Um, so that's where we've really come down to, you know, one day a week, we hang out um, in person and then kind of do our, you know, chores or, you know, errands um, to accommodate that, that lifestyle right now. Oh, all right. So for the, the majority of people who have been waiting for this specific recording are home okay. trying to date and it sounds like it's hard. And I know you and I spoke before and you also described it as just being difficult. Do you have any advice to those people who are trying to date right now? Yeah. Um, so it, it's an ever-changing landscape. Um, I know some folks do get discouraged uh, by not finding matches. Um, so in, in those instances, I would say, you know, kind of review your profile. Um, have up-to-date pictures, please. Uh, that is a, a big one. Um, I know we're, we're all different ages kind of looking at, at online dating. Sometimes it's, it's new. Um, or if you're getting into the dating game, after being out of it for a while. Um, you know, there, there are some etiquette points around it where, you know, obviously one, up-to-date photos, um, making sure that, that your face is visible or, you know, adding comments um, within the, the photo comment section, you know, pointing out your, your identity, if it's in a group photo, those types of things, um, as well as the content you're, you're filling out. Um, not everybody, We'll read the content um, if we're being honest. Uh, so, you know, just make sure that it's authentic to who you are and, you know, what you're looking for, honestly. Um, I think these days, honesty goes a very long way. Um, whether, you know, you're looking for something long term, um, if you're looking for something, you know, more along the lines of, you know, social distance dating, um, you know, kind of being upfront up about what your comfort levels are, uh, are very helpful um, for you and others, right? So those are, are pretty big ones, um, you know, putting content in your profile, uh, and then actually messaging people substantive, you know, questions. Um, I've definitely gotten a lot of like, hey, 
and then nothing. Um, and it, it makes it hard to want to respond. So, you know, I definitely, even if I'm not you know, interested in the person based on, you know, the content of her profile, I still always appreciate, you know, somebody who, who looks at my profile and sends, you know, uh, an opportunity to have a conversation. Um, especially these days, it, it does go pretty far. Um, please don't cold call people through apps. Um, for me, that was a, a big no. Um, it gave me a lot of anxiety and it's, you know, allow somebody to kind of transition into that, unless that's your, your jam, which, you know, no judgment, but for me, it didn't work. Um, and, and I think just, you know, being courteous of time um, to respond to messages. Uh, please don't double respond. I cannot tell you how many times uh, during the, the pandemic dating phase for me that I would get people who, you know, would would be upset and keep texting me, you know, to try and, and get me to respond. Um, we're all working different schedules. Um, the concept of time and response time is so different now. Um, so again, patience is, is kind of the virtue and, you know, give, give people the courtesy um, and benefit of the doubt in some cases. You have mentioned, I'd say five or six different dating platforms over the past few years. Which ones do you think are most conducive to pandemic dating? Um, I would say it depends on what you're looking for. Uh, for me, I tend to be more of a relationship person um, and not a, a casual encounter person. Um, it, it's, you know, if you're looking for more relationship-based um, activities, you can pretty much use any of the apps. Um, but I would say things like Hinge and Tinder um, and even OkCupid in, in some cases are much more geared towards, you know, the, the casual encounter even during a pandemic. Um, I'd like to say that, that people are better behaved right now. The truth is they're not. Um, and, you know, as, as much as we try and say, you know, there's, there's safe dating, um, not everybody will view safe the same way. So that's where, you know, being honest about, you know, your, your safety and risk factors up front is very helpful. Um, but yeah, in terms of dating apps that are out there that I've tried or would recommend, there's Hinge, there's Bumble, um, there's OkCupid, there's Plenty of Fish, there's Facebook dating. Um, those are, are the ones that I've more frequently used um, probably since 20... 14. I've used a combination of those apps. Great. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap this up? Um, I, I think just, you know, etiquette and, and courtesy with online dating. Um, you know, you will guaranteed send a message to somebody who will not respond. Um, you know, don't take it personally, just, you know, keep trying. Um, there, the phrase, you know, there's plenty of fish in the sea. It's true. Um, and you don't have to catch every single one, but, you know, try. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good advice. And Lissa has already agreed to come back at a later date. And we're going to discuss California and all the industry over there in the Bay Area and how it's dealt with COVID. So I'm looking forward to speaking yep. with you again soon. Absolutely. It was great to do this.
thank you so much. Of course.